Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. So today I'm delighted. I don't think we've ever had two people with the same name on the show. But we've done lots of three-handers. But we've, we've not... So today um, I'm delighted to be joined by not one, but two Lindsays. Welcome to the show, Lindsays. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So that's going to make it easier some ways, as I said, and more <laughs> difficult in others. Um, so um, let's, uh, we've got Lindy, we've got Lindsay R, who's an um, adoptive mum, and uh, we've got uh, Lindsay, sorry, I've forgotten your H. <laughs> H, yeah, Lindsay H, who works for the Heart Gallery. Yeah. So, um, Heart Gallery is, uh, we've, we've had Laurie Sherman-Graffon from um, the Heart Gallery in New York, um, and that was, a, that was a great conversation. And I know that Heart Gallery people have a huge heart. We only have people on the hearts. I often, we only have people on the show with big hearts. But the, the Heart Gallery helped, uh, Lindsay H, helped Lindsay R. <laughs> and um, uh, Lindsay, has, uh, Lindsay R has an incredible story uh, around that. Uh, now, we're not going to just dive into that a little bit because then we're going to be talking about a couple of things. Um, I think for me, one of one of the things that seems to be like gold dust, like a gold dust insight for 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 adoptive parents and all parents and all people, right? But got a, absolute gold dust. And then we're going to go into. We're going to look at advocacy because because um, Lindsay R has always been a, um, a parent. She is a um, an educator, so um, she's she's uniquely placed to give us both sides of the coin on um, on um, advocacy. So, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Perhaps we could start with Lindsay H, then we go to Lindsay R. Um, thank you so much for having us. We're so excited to share a little bit more about the Heart Gallery and, and our kids. Um, so I have worked in the child welfare system since 2009, um, working with um, specifically with kids whose parents' rights are terminated and they were waiting for their forever family. So um, I joined the Heart Gallery of Tampa in 2014, and uh, I'm now the executive director there and our our main goal and why we exist is really just to um, introduce our community to our kids. You know, there's so many people still that don't even know that there's children available for adoption in the foster care system, uh, specifically older kids. So you'll never see like a healthy baby on the heart gallery. Um, all of our kids are kids who need a little bit more help in finding a home. So we have teenagers, big sibling groups, kids with special needs, kids with medical needs. Um, and we introduce them to the community in a really positive way and um, really highlight their strengths. So um, they're seen you know, as a, as a child and not necessarily a foster child. Uh, we have um, you know, photos that are taken by professional photographers that we tour all through the community and um, the idea is that, you know, you're walking through the mall or you're at the doctor's office and you see a photo of a child and it just kind of plants the seed um, and introduces you to these kids. And, you know, while it may not happen tomorrow or next year, um, we've had families that will call us and say, you know, four years ago, I was shopping at the mall and I saw this photo of a child 
and I just can't get it out of my head. And now is the time that I'm ready to move forward to start the adoption process. So um, really we met Lindsay um, because she adopted a couple of boys from the Hart Gallery uh, to, well, we photographed them in 2020. It was right before the pandemic. Um, and then from there, she just seems to be this amazing advocate and this amazing mom. And now all of a sudden she's got six kids and four Heart Gallery kids. So we're so excited um, to have her as part of our little Heart Gallery family. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, Lindsay, are, yeah, six. When, and they're all, they're all, are they all teenagers now? Are some of them slightly nope. older? Yeah, they're, nope, they're all teenagers. They're all teenagers. Now, um, that's a huge thing that you've clearly yeah. undertaken. So, um, uh, which question to, to begin with, but maybe tell us a little bit about the, the, the story and then we'll, we'll get into the, the, this gold dust learning that you've had. Okay. Um, so I've, <clears throat> much like Lindsay, been in the system since, two, for me, it was 2011. Um, and my way through the system was in teaching. Um, so I started teaching in high need schools, in the high need, what we call in, in the States high schools, what I think you guys call secondary schools. Yeah. Um, and just, I've been teaching forever, 10 years now, uh, 11 years. And probably about two years ago, right before the pandemic hit, almost three years ago now, um, I don't know what it was, but I was just like, I could be a mom. And I could be a mom to teenagers because that's what I was good at. Like I, I knew I could make those relationships work. I knew I could have that happen. And as a single person, I knew I could have that happen. Um, so started the classes, did all the things that the foster care system has you do, um, background checks and interviews, all that fun stuff. <clears throat> um, and then the pandemic hit. And so I got to do half of it in person, half of it online. Um, and then that summer of the pandemic, um, like Lindsay said, my boys moved in and when my boys moved in, they were 13 and 14, they were bio brothers. Um, I got into the system to help teens and, and sibling groups. That was my goal. Um, and with no goal of adoption, like I, that was never even on my mind. Um, and the boys had been there about two months and the, his their caseworker called me and said, hey, we have a family who's interested because like Lindsay said, they were part of the Heart Gallery. So many people that had access to their pictures and their story. Um, and I, my immediate reaction to the caseworker was like, you're not taking these boys out of my house. Um, and she's like, well, does that mean you're gonna adopt them? And I was like, if that's what we gotta do, then that, yeah, you're not taking these boys out of my house. Um, and so that adoption process, I think lasted <laughs> four months. Like it, it was not long. Um, because my boys, their mom, their biological mother had passed away. The dad had signed his rights over. Like it was, it was a very easy adoption. Um, and ever since then it just kind of snowballed. Like I just kept taking in teens. I don't know that I've ever said no. Um, until <laughs> I got to six and then I was like, all right, we need to slow down. Um, and so we have, but like she said, I just had an adoption go through, uh, one, another heart gallery kid, um, about three weeks ago. And I have a fourth heart gallery kid in my house and him and I just talked about it. Um, and we are going to move forward with the adoption. It just takes 90 days before we can start that paperwork because of, uh, just like stay laws in my, our state. Um, 
but yeah, so five of them have been through the foster care system. One of them was actually an ex-student of mine who just has a very tragic story. Um, and I've since adopted her as well. Um, yeah. So just something I always know I could do. Yeah. And you, you shared, I mean, you, you, you shared uh, something of the, of the tragic story and the, uh, and the, and the trauma that these, uh, these teens have gone through last time. Yep. And was one of the, parents murdered if I remember right was that yep so my um my student actually uh the one that I adopted um she her mom was murdered by her biological father um when my student was 15 16 like she was fairly old like she knew what was going on I guess is my point um and then a stepdad took her in and the stepdad kicked her out the day she graduated um, and that's how I ended up with her. And she just, she wanted a place to call forever. And technically at that point it was called an adult adoption because she was 18, even though she had just graduated. Um, so it was like a very simple, like filing fee. And now I'm on her birth certificate kind of thing. So, yeah. And I think that that's such an interesting point that Lindsay brings up. So like I said, the majority of the kids in the heart gallery are teenagers. So we get a lot of questions well, he's 17, you know, he, he's only going to need a parent for another year or once he, you know, and the, the difference will twofold. One, our kids are generally delayed because they haven't had that consistent upbringing. They've switched schools 12 times in 12 years. They haven't had a stable placement. So they haven't learned how to function on their own the second they turn 18. And uh, on top of that, you know, you always need a parent that you need somewhere to go for holidays. You need someone to walk you down the aisle when you get married, you need somewhere to go. If you're having a tough time, I mean, I'm right. 40 and I talk to my mom every single day, like that, that never parenting doesn't stop at 18 is my point. Right. And so we've had kids that were adopted on their 18th birthday actually. And it was just, those are the, the, the biggest wins because now we know that that child is set up for you know, to have the support for the rest of his life where he would have been homeless had he not been adopted that day. Yep. And I actually had, so my, the, the adoption that just went through, she turns 18 next month. Um, and that was one of her biggest fears was aging out in the system. Um, and she is by no means right. She hasn't even graduated high school. Like she got another year of high school left. Um, and so she by no means is ready. And neither was my 19 year old who graduated. She, she called me yesterday about some fraud application that they wanted her to fill out or whatever. And so, yeah, I agree with Lindsay wholeheartedly that at 18, that's, it's not like a steadfast, everybody's ready. Yeah. So the, 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 the gold dust that you sprinkled on our last conversation was this realization that you'd had Lindsay that um, not to take the kids trauma personally right so to me that's like something that sounds really easy really really logical um and and and, and almost like impossible in in the in the same it it it, it sounds like you know well yeah i mean the difference between theory and practice is that right. there's no difference, that there is a difference between theory and practice, right? Right. Yeah. 
So <laughs> how did you how did you come to that? How did you yeah. first come to that realization? Sure. So my um, like I told you, my two bio my two bio brothers, um, not my bio brothers, but they were bio brothers, had moved in. And um, my youngest son had been diagnosed with AD before he came to me, had been diagnosed with ADHD and um, anger issues. And so much so that he was on meds for both. Um, and my youngest son would get so, and I'd seen it. My youngest son would get so mad that he would black out and start punching things and crying. And it was just, it was crazy. And it's only, I've only seen it twice, but it, it's intense. Um, and so I remember one time <clears throat> we're in the middle of <clears throat> the adoption process. Cause it takes, you know, four months and in our state, in the state of Florida, you need, um, if a kid is over the age of 13 or 12, they have to consent to their adoption. So they have to sign the paperwork um, that says that they are okay with being adopted. And we had just done that, like within, within a week. <clears throat> and it's after school. And I had asked him to do, his name's Diego. And I had asked him to do something. Um, who knows, take the trash out, do the dishes, you know, something random to that effect. And he wanted to play video games. And I was like, no, I need you to do this first. <clears throat> and he did not want to do that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Diego is very much, I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I need a timeline. You're not going to mess up the timeline. Like that's, that's not how this works. So he was not having it. Mind you, I had worked all day, obviously. Like he had been at school all day. I had worked all day. I, we were both in this heightened sense of we wanted to relax. And, but other things needed to get done first. And so we got into that argument of, no, you're going to do it now, blah, 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 whatever. <clears throat> and it just, it, ex it escalated. It went all the way up. And Diego said something that got to me and it was, well, what are you going to do? Unadopt me? Um, and I had, he said that and it clicked. And I was like, I, I got to back away from the situation. So I was like, okay. I was like, nope, not going to happen. And he ran upstairs to his room and I ran outside crying. Um, he didn't see it, but I, I was crying and I called my boss actually, um, my principal, cause she thinks very like her and I think very similarly. And my principal said, it's a manipulation tool. It's, it's not about you. He wants to see how hard he can push you. Um, because everyone in his life has left and he thinks you're going to leave too. Um, because at that point it had only been two, three months. Like he'd only lived with me, not very long. Um, and he's, and so he's going to do whatever he can do to push you away. Because if he pushes you away, then it hurts less because if he connects and then you push him away, it'll hurt more. Um, so you have to realize that it's not about you. And I think that's what she said. And so now every time him and I get into an argument and not so much anymore, but every time we got into an argument after that, it was okay. This is not about you. Like just, it's not about you. Um, and it's hard. Because all you want to do is argue when the kid is arguing with you because you're bad, he's mad. It's just, it's easier to yell. Um, but if I, I can remind myself that it's not about me and I can walk away or come back or whatever, um, it's worked. And he is no longer on any of those meds. Um, I've not seen him blackout since, um, since taking him off the meds. He doesn't get in fights at school, which was one of the things they warned me about, that he was always getting suspended for being in fights. Um, 
he does what I ask. He asks me when he wants to do something. He, I mean, he still fights with his brother and his sisters in the house and whatever. Like he's a teenager. Um, but yeah, it's just continually reminding myself. It's not about me. It's, it's about whatever else is going on. So. Is, is there a sense that, um, or do, does the sense that the trauma was so bad and the and their diagnosis and their meds and stuff were so prevalent actually serve as a scaffolding for that belief that it's not about you? Does it? It's like it. It. it it's. It, it, this is so bad, it can't possibly about me. It's all about what's in the past. It's nothing to do with me. <clears throat> um, no, actually. So I wasn't oh. the one who put him on meds, um, the foster care system. He was yes. in a group home before he came to me. Um, and so I think, honestly, for them, the meds were about a, a subdued situation. Like they were trying to get him to almost like, a, I hate to say it, but almost like a tranquilizer. Like they were getting it so that he couldn't get to that point um, because the meds wouldn't like allow him to. Um, whereas I think for me, the whole, it's not about me and just like staying present. I think with Diego, it has been my biggest win has been staying present um, and showing up even when he's mad, even when he's yelling at me, even when he's pissed off. Um, that has, I think that has helped him. He had his trauma response was just to push people away. Um, and I had a therapist tell me that, um, like a personal therapist, but then also like we had a adoption therapist too. Um, and it was just, it was very interesting. And he would say like, you're not my real mom. Like I've been yelled that a couple, Diego's really the only one that's ever hit me with that, but like he, a couple of times, um, but now I don't get it anymore. And I think it was because, again, he was just trying to push me away. Um, and I think for him, having a female in his life that has stayed has been weird because he's not used to that. And not for his mom, not any fault of hers. Like she had cancer um, and then for his aunt and then, you know, for whatever. But yeah, it, it it maybe it was scaffolding in the sense that like it can't be about me he's only lived here for three months but he loved to make it personal Diego was very good at pushing the personal buttons um and whether the response was about me or not he tried to make it about me because his goal was to make me so mad that I would push him out um and so I guess that's kind of where that realization came in and it was like he's not he's saying this about me but it's not about me yeah. it's about everyone else that's left before me was there um had you heard that um had you heard that phrase from somebody else uh beforehand or it, it, it no it was my boss my boss said it and I was like oh shit she might be right um and then I brought it up in therapy like a personal therapist and she was like no that's that's genius that's gold yeah like that's she's right yeah. And I think that, you know, a lot of our kids, it, it is very, like a defense mechanism. So you know, we even have these events where, you know, kids who are available for adoption will come and meet prospective families at a park or zoo or something like that. And all of the teenagers, they'll like, they'll either take their name tag off or they won't talk to anyone. 
Um, because at the end of the day, these families write down on a card, oh, I'm interested in, in Johnny, I'm interested in Melissa, you know, and the, the teenagers can say, well, no one wrote my name down because they didn't seem, they didn't know my name because I took my name tag off or no one wrote my name down because I didn't talk to anyone. It's not because they didn't want me. It's because I, so it very, it's very much a defense mechanism and they just try to protect themselves in that way. Like, you know, and, and then you, you will see like how Lindsay mentioned, you know, when they finally are in this safe environment and they feel safe, that's when their feelings start to really come out and they're working through their trauma because they're finally in a safe split space to be able to start working through some of that stuff. Yeah. It's, um, it's, as you say, it's defensive. It's like, I'll get my defense in first. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, 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 um, yeah, I'll, I'll get my defense in first by actually going on the attack. Yeah, my daughter, um, the one that I just, the, the finalization just came through, um, she's been in the foster care system the longest of any of the kids that I've had. Um, and for her, it got very interesting because the closer we got to adoption, like anytime I gave her any kind of news on, oh, like we this got submitted or we got we went to this court date or whatever, she would act out. Um, and her way of acting out is through drugs mostly. Um, and because that's how she deals with her anxiety and depression and PTSD and all that stuff. And so I kind of, not that I stopped telling her, but I would tell her in, I don't know, I, I learned to do it in different ways. Like I would do it at lunch while we were eating, you know, whatever, and something that was just between me and her. And then I would ask her like how, how she's feeling about this, and whatever. And, um, but I didn't realize that it was like, like the first time it happened, I didn't realize that's why it happened. Like I didn't connect the two. Um, because I guess she had been through the process before and then at the very end they backed out. Um, so she was just so used to people like, she was like, well, I've been here, you know, you're going to back out anyway. So whatever. Um, it's very interesting. The walls that these kids have built and the, the ways they're trying not to get hurt. I mean, you can't blame them, but it's just, it's very interesting. And even at 15, 16, 17 years old, I mean, Diego was 13 at the time, like for them to have advanced systems of this defense is it's, it's admirable, honestly, like good for yeah. them. But. Yeah. Um, the, there's, uh, you, you said that you're experiencing this uh, high needs high school. Is it, you call it high, high needs? Um, we call them title one, but yeah, yeah. same idea. Same idea. Um, you said that, 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 so um, that had been the reason that you decided that you wanted to adopt uh, teens because you have that understanding of what's going on for for, for oh. teens. So I, I guess that that perhaps is part of the scaffolding of you seeing this insight. Yeah. Or, or, or so sure. when if you put that part of the jigsaw to them when when the principal said, "Well, this is not about you," you put those two things together. Um, and uh, and the real, you know, the penny drops, as we say, you yep. know, we, we have the, the the penny drops. We have the insight, the aha moment, the uh, epiphany. If you come in at it from a like a religious perspective, so what what would you say to um, an adoptive parent that's listening, who's got teens that are um, 
who are who, who's trauma exhibiting signs of their trauma, and they but they're struggling to to see that it's not personal. What would you say right. to them? <clears throat> so for me, um, I think the biggest thing has been treating. I think a lot of times when we have <clears throat> adoptive teens who are known to come from trauma, uh, we blame everything on that, right? <clears throat> we say, okay, well, he had a traumatic experience or she had a traumatic experience. And sometimes it's just, they're being teenagers. Teenagers are buttheads. Like that, that's just, that's very real. Um, and they're sullen and they're whatever, like the, the teenager mood, right? So I think a lot of that comes from understanding teenage development, um, understanding that like sleeping till 12 o'clock is normal or getting mad because you are sucking their teeth and rolling their eyes because you told them to do their homework. Like all of that is normal. It has nothing to do with trauma and everything to do with your 15. Um, but then when it does come to the trauma, because trust me, I see things that a lot of parents obviously have not, um, like bio parents. Um, it's being able, you have to be very aware of yourself. Um, and that's hard to do. Um, because I think in society, we, especially in societies like ours, we learned that it's all about me, right? Like it, I, what the meritocracy idea of like being able to work to, if I do this and I'm going to reach this goal and it's what's best for me and whatever. And so it, it, you have to be very aware of your triggers. Um, when Diego gets loud, that was a trigger for me. Um, come to find out it was because my dad was one that got loud. So when my dad would get loud, that so Diego kind of mirrored that for me. And so knowing that that raised voice was a trigger for me, I, I would see it and I would say, okay, breathe, like, you know, breathe in, breathe out, whatever. Um, woo saw for, you know, five seconds or whatever. Um, and take a step back. So you have to be present, especially with kids with trauma. Um, you have to show up, but you don't have to say anything. You can just be there um, and let them lead the situation. So if a kid is really mad um, and they're screaming and they're yelling and they're whatever, um, be in the room, but don't say anything. You don't want to agitate. You don't, it may be like, okay, breathe. Like you could say that, but with Diego, he wants to scream and cuss and yell and hit a pillow and whatever. Um, but eventually he comes down. Like eventually it takes some time, but he'll come down. Um, and I think me sitting in the room with him presently so like no phone no none of that um sitting in the room and just being there for him and him realizing when he looked over after all of that and I'm still there um was big for us um and then just showing up in the small moments so like the car ride to school or using those moments to your advantage um or hey you want to go to the store with me Diego's learning how to drive right now so like that's big leverage for me um so I, he's trapped he's driving but then him and I can have those conversations. Um, and just, yeah, I think for me, it's just being there. It's showing up, being aware of your own triggers and then breathing through those triggers. Um, and also understand, like being very forgiving of yourself. Like, have I yelled at Diego? Yeah, I yelled at him yesterday. Like it happens, right? Like you're going to yell. Um, you're going to add to the situation sometimes when you probably shouldn't have. Um, but that's okay too. Like we're both learning, um, and being okay with apologizing. I've said sorry to Diego a bunch of times. Like I shouldn't have got loud. I shouldn't have yelled. I, we should have done it this way, like whatever. Um, I, I was raised in a house that was very, um, 
it's my way or the highway. Like my parents were very, you do this and you do it now. And if not, there's consequences. And I think I went then to raise my children that way and realized like, that's not going to work. Um, and it's become more of a partnership with my kids. Now, obviously I'm still the authority figure. I still make the final decision. Um, but I can be wrong and that's okay. And that doesn't take away or diminish my authority. Um, and I can, I can also compromise because if I teach kids those, those skills then when they go into the world, then they're better people anyway. So it works. Um, but yeah. So people often, you know, in the Western world, we're looking, so what do we do? Um, and what, essentially what you're saying is I think just sticking with it. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's consistent presence. It's persistence. Uh, yep. It's patience, isn't it? I mean, um, yeah. you, you know, patience and just rolling with it. And, uh, you know, like you, you said, you don't need to say anything. Right. So people are saying, well, if if this happens, what do I say? If that, well, you, you don't need to don't need to say anything. Right. Just honestly, just being there. I think a lot of, especially when you adopt um, older children, um, and I'm sure Lindsay has seen this as well. Like with older kids, um, that's most of the problem is that someone hasn't been there consistently. And I, I know Lindsay can talk to about the welfare system and just how like, I think I've seen like six case managers per kid and they've been with me a year. Like it's never, it's mm -hmm. insane. So consistency is not a thing in their life. So for you to just like consistently show up and again, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know exactly what to do, but just to consistently show up in the big moments, but in the small moments as well. Um, it does wonders for your relationship. It really does. Yeah. So um, we talked about, I think you used the word, you know, like showing up, being, showing up, being present. So what about this, um, this advocacy thing? Uh, this, we've got to advocate for our, got to advocate for our kids and get them the support that, that they need. And, oh. and I've talking to other people about this. One of the main things seems to be that persistence behind that. And um, yeah, uh, I, I when I'm trying to get my way with a bureaucrat, with a bureaucrat, I'm I I I, I sum up my approach as politely persistent. Yeah. So they've got to realize that that bureaucrat who is just doing the job within a, a cog within a small wheel has to realize that I'm I'm not going anywhere. Uh, and um, uh, so that's that, that that's just that's my take on bureaucracy. And um, <clears throat> please, what, what it's an area that I I know very little about and it's yeah I, I can uh, the emotional stuff i kind of get to an extent and i had lots of from my own experience and also from lots of the um, the the, uh, the podcast interviews i've done with adoptive parents um but the advocacy stuff uh, we've covered a lot a lot less but um 
what 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 are the big things that yeah what what, the, so, what have been the big insights that you've had in this advocacy so and i've seen this a lot with kids who aren't in care um but just with kids in general but also with kids in care we tend to and i have to imagine it's probably the same in the uk um we label kids right so we're like this kid isn't a good test taker this kid isn't good at math or this kid isn't he's a fighter or he's a skipper or whatever so for my son, um, it was, he, he was a fighter. So my kid, my son had a reaction when kids got into his face, he was immediately fighting. And so the moment that happens, um, an AP, like an assistant principal or a dean or whoever <clears throat> sees that and intends to put them in lower tracked classes where that happens um, because apparently only general ed kids can get in fights. I don't, I don't know what the thought process is there, but that's what's happening. Um, or I have a kid, I have another kid in my house who was absent a lot. And a lot of times that's because she didn't have a ride or because she missed the bus or because whatever the reason was. And so because she was absent so much, then she obviously isn't qualified to take this higher level class or do this higher level thing. Um, and so for me, it was realizing that the system was wrong and you're not gonna tell me what to do about my kid and you're gonna put them in the classes that I want you to put them in regardless. And so <clears throat> you might be a little nicer than me because I am not patiently persistent, I'm just persistent. Um, and I'm gonna push until you do what I want. Um, and then once we're done, we're good. Um, I've learned that. So the education system, it's been a little easier for me because obviously I'm a teacher. So I know all the principals and assistant principals and guidance counselors in my kids' schools. Um, and so I don't have to argue that very much. Um, I also know the foster liaison for our county, like our district, and she and I are really good friends. And so that work, it works in my favor. But for people that are not that savvy, um, there's absolutely no reason why a kid can't go to a class you think that they're ready for. And as a parent, you're a bit the biggest advocate. Um, if you can push, like you said, be politely persistent, it'll happen. Um, but moving on to other things. So like with medical stuff, um, it's just, I, I just think a lot of people are trying to get through their job. Like you said, they're just a cog in a wheel. So they're trying to check the box so they can move to the next thing. Um, and I'm not going to just be a box that you check. Like we're, we're going to do this the right way. And we're going to do this the way this kid deserves until you make it happen. Um, and you gotta be, you can't be afraid to make the call. Right. So like, if the caseworker isn't, if the caseworker isn't doing what they're supposed to do, then I need the caseworker's boss's number. And if that kid, if that guy's not doing what he needs to do, then I need that guy's boss's number. And if I got to call DCF in the state of Florida, that's what I'll do. Like, we're going to keep going. And so <laughs> the foster care system, they don't, they don't generally tell me no anymore because they know that I'm going to keep going. Um, so I don't generally have problems anymore, but I think you have to be that squeaky wheel um, until they realize that you're not gonna stop um because our kids deserve that like why wouldn't you um I hear a lot of foster parents um and not so much of little kids because I think the resources for little kids are a lot more easy to lay out like the daycare assistance and the the food assistance and all that kind of stuff um but for older kids like a lot of people don't know that the state of Florida will pay for kids to get their driver's license to the car insurance all of that is there you just have to sign up um, the college stuff and the college tours and the Medicaid that they're, that our kids are on um, supplies like $150 a year per kid 
for them to do sports and activities or for them to go to homecoming or for them to go to prom or like whatever. But until someone tells you that, you don't know that that exists. Um, and so I just like consistently ask all the questions. Um, and then, you know, having six of them, it's nice because all six of them have different case managers and different groups of people around them. And generally what works for one kid, all of them get that benefit. Just no one's told me that before. So like all my kids are in, they all got LA fitness gym memberships this year and Medicaid paid for all of it. Um, and they're loving it because I, there was a care grant that I could get. And that was how that worked. Um, there are a couple of adoption grants through the foster care system that like the boys had Bush gardens passes, which is an amusement park that they paid for. But had I not asked, nobody would have known, you know what I mean? Like Lindsay's program right now is paying for my son to take opera lessons because he wants to be an opera singer. Um, and he is loving it. Um, I'm trying to think what else it just you have to ask and you have to be willing my one of my daughters is getting braces through the guardian at Lightem program they usually only do them for younger kids and she's 17 but really wants them and so they're paying for it um but had I just sat down and been like okay well they didn't say I get this so I'm I must not yeah. um I would have never known and so you just you gotta ask and I mean the worst thing you can do is say no they're like, no, we don't do that. And it's like, all right, I'll ask somebody else. Like, it, and that's fine. So, yeah. so um, interesting, interesting wealth of stuff there. Um, I, I guess you, 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 it seems like you're picking this stuff, picking this stuff up all the time for all the yeah. from all the conversations that you had, from all the contacts that you're making, yeah. um, and. So, so there's 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 a research there's a research task for for uh, adoptive parents to do. There's uh, an asking task for them to do, um, and there's uh, and it's all coming from different. It's all coming from different um, from different sources. So, well, and I think the big thing for adoptive parents is that a lot of people seem to think, and I don't know if this is how it works for you guys, but I know not in the states that once they're adopted, it's done. Like they're yours now. Now you go to your home and you live happily ever after. And that's just not the case. So many people are there for post-adoption. Like there's so much post-adoption support. Um, so just because your kid is adopted or they are now legally yours doesn't mean that you stop asking. Like keep asking all those questions um, because there's people that are helping and willing to do those things. So. We have an agency locally and that's all they do is just post-adoption therapy. And, you know, obviously there's, there's all of these behaviors and traumas that they're working through prior to finalization. But then once it's finalized, it kind of opens up this new idea of, okay, it's a new chapter. Now, how do we move forward? And so there's, you know, this agency that's solely focused on just post-adoption support and there's support groups and therapies and things like that that are available. Okay. Yeah. That's how we got our post-adoption uh, therapist was through that agency. Yeah. What's the agency called in, down in Tampa? Camelot. Camelot Adoptions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, is it Mike, the boss of Camelot? Is, it, is he called Mike? The, yes. The director? Yeah. yes. Oh, somebody mentioned his name the other day. Yeah. 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 He's going to be coming on the podcast. Hopefully. Yeah. Oh. Nice. Yeah, 
So, um, so listeners, uh, there you are. That's that's. Uh, there's, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to do was to come up with a practical. You know, what what do you do next? So you could contact. Uh, you know, Google post adoption support Florida or post adoption support um, your, the county name um, or or your or your or your city name or your town name, whatever, and you and and get on get on their website. Um, get on the phone to them and find out what what options there are available. Asking them big, asking them big open questions because we don't know what we don't know. So we've got to ask them in a, a large open question rather than trying to uh, because they're the of stuff that we don't know about. Yeah. And I think the best way to do that, I mean, ask those questions, yes. Um, but I think like those support groups are probably the best way to do it because other parents who are doing this. Um, are usually your best go-to. So like if I, I one of these Camelot um, has like an, a, like a parent support group. And so I've been a couple of times and not so much for the support group itself, but just to meet other parents who are adopting teenagers um, and just to ask questions like, hey, have you heard of this? Or, hey, my kid wants to do this. Do you know anything about this? Um, because I think we are our own best resource, like meeting, you know, going out to each other and helping each other. Yeah. The other thing that you're talking about a lot, I think, was um, escalating it. So if you're not getting, if you're not getting, uh, if you're not getting answers, then go over, um, go over the head to their boss and, and keep on, keep on going that. Uh, and I, I don't know, you know, we're, we've all got different levels of um, patience in this matter. Uh, so uh, I think be aware of, you know, do uh, do do I sometimes? I'm sometimes I let things go too long. You know, my the, my gut feel has told me I needed I need to I, I, I need to go over some of this. I, I've I've been recently been going through um, a problem with electricity, and it's a it's a long boring problem. But in the old me would have would have tried to solve it with one person um or one organization but what i actually did uh, i i've i've tried i've tried i've had three simultaneous of three or four so i was i was talking to my old supplier i was talking to the ombudsman i was talking to the new supplier and i was talking to the um the um uh, well talk this was all email actually uh, and i was also engaging with the the liquidator because the first organization had gone bankrupt right so rather than waiting for one of those organizations to sort out for me i was pursuing all four or five options at the same time whereas old simon five years ago would have done them one at a time but i was actually going for it all in one go and like this this is just keep on at them and keep on at them when my so my son, my, my newest son, I don't even know how that works. But anyway, my son, um, he uh, wanted these opera lessons, right? Like he really wants to sing. He's always been a musically talented kid. He's in a school where he, he plays an instrument. He plays a couple of them, actually. He's very good. Um, and I was like, I don't know anything about opera singing. So I, you know, reached out to our local uh, entertainment center, like uh, theater center or whatever, and they had them. But it's not cheap. It's, it's rather expensive. Um, and so I did the same thing. I reached out to the Hart Gallery. I reached out to 
he's got a guardian at Lightum. So I reached out to their program. I reached out to his caseworker. And between the three of them, they've paid off his lessons for the summer. Um, and I didn't have to pay a dime. But had I not talked to all three of them at the same time, I, I don't know that it would have happened. And I would have had to pay at least for one of the lessons, if not a couple, just to get it um, situated. So it's been very nice. And then I, I don't know if Lindsay's the one that found me the the girl that sings, but now, now he, she's got her, he's got his own personal person. So it'll be cool. Yeah. But. So it, it, it's essentially about uh, what we would call in the UK bloody mindedness uh, mixed in with a bit of um, uh, mixed in with a bit of creativity and just keeping on, keeping on going and, and just persistence yeah. and um, not, not taking, not taking no for an answer. Is, is there anything that you've that you've gained because obviously you're, you're inside the system you've been inside the system as a, a teacher since 2011 is there any particular things that uh, you maybe you've shared at parent support groups that adoptive parents hadn't heard of before or any kind of inside um, inside information that you've gathered that other that adoptive parents might not be aware of um I think the biggest one just comes from like figuring out the why so like if it let's say a teacher tells you no or an assistant principal or whoever tells you no figuring out why um because usually no is not the end answer um so for for people that may not be in the education system um just being able to like again, advocate for your kid, but also like pushing it. Um, because I think as parents, we, we take the educators as the end all be all right. Like they, they know what's best. They, they're doing what's best they're doing. And that's great. And I'm glad people think of us that way. We don't, I'm going to be hundred percent honest with you. Like sometimes we do what's easy, um, because it's easy. Like we are also human. Um, and so being able to push, for your kid in any manner, even if you think the person in front of you is smarter than you or knows more than you or whatever. Um, and that might be true. They might, but you know, your kid best um, and you know, what's going to work for that kid the best. Um, and so just continuing to push, I think is the biggest thing. Um, I know our systems are a little different when it comes to education, but like when it comes to like SAT testing or ACT testing or passing, the state exam or whatever, like a lot of parents are like, well, they have to do this or that won't happen. And I'm like, actually, there are like 12 other avenues you can take. Um, and parents don't know that because why would they? Like they took this one avenue and that was the avenue that made sense to them. And um, that was the avenue that the system told them that was they were supposed to take. Um, and like yeah. my son. Yeah, go ahead. It, it's set up for the masses. The, the, yeah. the bureaucracy right. is set up for the masses and it wants sure. to put everybody through a cookie cutter system. And um, it, it and and they will they will not let you know about the other stuff because they want right. everything to be funneled down the mainstream channel. And right. So so then it becomes about the the questions that you ask to to find out different ways to yeah. There's more than one way to skin a cat, right? So there's different right. different ways around the around the system. Yeah, yeah. So big opening, big questions getting insights from other adoptive parents through the parent support groups um 
maybe if you've got a teacher that's a friend, you could ask uh, their advice on on trying to get that inside line on the system and going above um, going above their heads. Uh, and uh, yeah, appreciating that they are working within the constraints of a bureaucracy. Right. And again, going back to, it's not about you. So like not taking, they don't need to take it personally either that you went above their head or whatever. Um, it's not a negative thing. It's just, I need to do this for my kid. And so since you can't help me, I get it, but I got to move on. Yeah. Brilliant. So are there any, um, I'm just conscious of time. Are, are there, uh, is, is there anything else that you'd like to, to share with the adoptive parents that are listening? Teenagers are the best adopt teenagers all day every day um I, I understand that their rap sheets are longer but it's just because they've been living longer so they've, they've done life a little longer than your babies or your two-year-olds or your five-year-olds um but teenagers are just big five-year-olds I'm gonna be 100% honest with you they just really want a blanket and somebody to love them um so yeah teens and there's just so much more you could do like I, my teens are home right now while I'm in a hotel with a friend you know like it, they're just they're awesome. They're cooking, they're cleaning, they're driving, they're doing all the things. Um, it's just been a great experience and I can't imagine it stopping soon. Brilliant. Lindsay H, have you got anything else to add? You know, I think that there's this fear um, that people have with adopting, especially from the foster care system. And we tell every family, you know, this is going to be the hardest thing that you will ever do, but it's, it's also going to be the best thing you'll, you'll ever do. So um, you know, when it's tough, just hang in there. And like Lindsay said, there's resources available. You just have to learn how to navigate those systems, but um, the kids deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Lindsay. It's been beautiful talking thank to you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Yeah, thank really you. Enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Thank, thank you. you very much to listeners. And as always, check out the, uh, the guests, um, check out the show notes for links to the guests and find out more what, about what they're doing on their website and on their socials. And uh, we will speak to you again very soon. Thanks a lot, listeners, and goodbye.